0: If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 as we continue our sermon series and the story of Joseph, this incredible story. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be for you in the bulletin. Uh, There's a lot of them this morning also on the screen for you as well. As we look at this life of Joseph, what an amazing life that God shows us in the Bible. Talk about some twists and turns. Talk about some incredible highs and lows. Can any of you relate to that in your own life? I mean, Joseph, he's this favorite son of Jacob, his father, and, and yet he's betrayed and hated by his brothers to the point that they're going to sell him into slavery. But you know what? He rises to the top. Even in Potiphar's uh, household, he's going to become like the number one guy just to be falsely accused by his wife, to be thrown into prison, to rise to the top in prison, to be forgotten. But this morning, we're going to see from the pit to the palace, from the pit to the palace was God's plan for Joseph. And if you haven't been journeying with us or missed a couple of weeks, let me just give you a couple of highlight reminders of what we looked at and what we've learned as we looked into Joseph's life. The first one was this, and it's so important, that dysfunction doesn't disqualify. When you look at Joseph and his family, guess what? They're, they're really dysfunctional. And when you're reminded that this is God's promised family. I mean, this is the family of hope that eventually a Messiah is going to come through that's named Jesus. And, and they're a mess. Anybody relate to that? They're dysfunctional. But the beauty is, is we realize that in our gracious God, dysfunction doesn't disqualify us from God's love. And dysfunction doesn't qualify, disqualify us from God's plan. How incredibly gracious of our God The second thing we saw was this, is that the Lord was with Joseph wherever he went, even in prison, even wherever he finds himself, in Potiphar's wife enslaved, or Potiphar's house. The Lord was always with him. And there was a direct correlation with the Lord being with Joseph and Joseph being successful. And you wanna scratch your head sometimes and say, what does success look like in prison? What does success look like when you're enslaved? But because God was with Joseph, Joseph was successful Last week we we uh, were reminded that God always remains with His people, wherever you find yourself, far from home or or close nearby. God remains with His people. Not only that, but God remembers His promises, and God's promises are God-sized promises for us. I mean, they're incredible promises, and He'll never forget His promise to you and to me in Christ Jesus. And not only that, we learned that that God redeems our stories. The things that are broken, the things that are undone, the, the sin that we can't seem to shake, all that is around us that seems so wrong, we have a God who's promised to make it so beautifully right. And this morning, we're going to see that, that God's timing is perfect. Do some of you need to hear that this morning? Do some of you crying out, where, oh God, and how long, oh God? We're going to realize this morning in Joseph's story that his, his timing really is perfect, We're also going to see that his power is ultimate. That Joseph uh, has been given God's power in a way that just shows that who is the ultimate power but God alone. And also we're going to realize that God's plan is unfailing. There's such good news. That God has a plan for you. He's got a plan for us. He's got a plan for his church. He's got a plan for this world. and, And his plan is unfailing. And he's going to use Joseph. He's going to empower him with some dreams to show us all that. But let me remind you, the goal of this study of Joseph is not so that we become more like Joseph. If you leave here and you think, well, golly, i got to be more like Joseph. No, 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 no. It's not to become more like Joseph, but to be amazed at Joseph's God. Worship Joseph's God and to realize that he loves you. In this chapter we're about to to read, God is going to take more clearly center stage. God is always center stage in the Bible. It's it's about him and, and the hero of his son, Jesus But we're going to see him take center stage as Joseph is the interpreter of dreams, saying, well, it's God who interprets dreams. It's God who gives us this wisdom. Well, this incredible story is going to unfold for us in Genesis 41. It is a long chapter. It's a beautiful chapter. It's a glorious chapter. And I have asked our very own Carol Hansen, a longtime beloved faculty member at Orangewood Christian School, to come and to read this morning. I just asked her like three minutes ago. No, I didn't. I gave her a little heads up on this. So, Carol, thank you for coming and blessing us with God's word and the reading of God's word today. Thank you. Thank
1: you. All right, if you'll follow with me to his glory, Genesis 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up by the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all of the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told him, told them his dreams, But there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there. He was with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them for they were still as ugly as it was as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. As it is told, as As it is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will also arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that all follow or it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and he put a gold chain around his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanathaniah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all of the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph has said, there was a famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth.
0: How about that? Well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Let's pray together. Father God, thanks for such an incredible story that we can see that you and you alone are clearly God. You're the one who knows the future. You're the one who interprets dreams. You're the one who provides bread for us to eat. It's all you. So God, would you come? Would you join your people May we clearly see the one who takes center stage in this story, in this world, and in our lives. May we see Jesus and see him beautifully. Would you give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth and love, and feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would, would you use those very things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless and glorious name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we're going to see is God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. It's been two whole years since Joseph has properly interpreted the cupbearer's dream, uh, telling him that he's going to be restored and that Pharaoh's going to be with him. And he says to the cupbearer, hey, remember me. When you get that audience with Pharaoh, remember me so I can get out of here. But he was forgotten. And two whole years have elapsed. It also told us in this text that, uh, that Joseph is now 30 years old. When we were first introduced to Joseph uh, in the first chapter, he was a 17-year-old boy. And now we know that 13 years of slavery and imprisonment have been a part of his life until this very moment. Let me ask you, have you been in a time in your life where you've just been longing It's been those days, those weeks, those months, those years, those maybe 13 years that you've been crying out, don't forget me, Lord, don't forget me. Where are you? Oh, Lord. We know that God's timing is perfect. God was using that time. God was redeeming that time. And the time had come for a change in Joseph's life. When I think about this reality, I don't know about you, but the thing that bothers me about God's timing is I can't control it. I want to control time. Do you? I want to speed certain things up, slow other things down. I want to control time. It's as sad as even things like passing through toll booths. I had a chance this week. Uh, we got a last-minute incredible blessing, my boys and I, to go over and see the world's greatest sporting event, hockey, playoff hockey and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So we get these tickets last minute to go. We scramble. It's got to drive across the state and get uh, to Tampa to see the puck drop in time uh, for a playoff game. It's a great time. We're in the car trying to navigate as quickly as we can and we're passing through some tolls and we realize that my son borrowed my e-pass Took it off my windshield, and now it's still in his car. Oops, we're in my car. We gotta go through those daggum toll booths. So I hand a box of coins to Caleb, said, Pull out all the quarters. So what do you do? We got all the right change. You go to the exact change one, right? You fly through the exact change one. There's a, one car in front of me, and here's what he's doing there's one quarter. <laughs> here's two quarters. I'm like, don't you know the rules, dude? I mean, you are in the exact change, man. You show up there ready to go. You, you barely stop. You throw it in as you're going through. Three quarters? And after every quarter, I'm getting a little closer and a little closer. My boy's, Dad, Dad, you oh. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I showed Christ-like leadership the entire time. <laughs> dude, come on, man. Let's go. And just reminded that I just want to control time, even in a toll booth. Well, when I realize on a bigger, more grand reality, even in my own life, that God's timing is perfect, I see that through my grandmother's lifelong prayers. The earliest memories I have of my grandma Blakeman is that she prayed for me and she would tossle my hair and she would pray that she'd say, Jeffrey, I'm praying that someday you'll be a pastor. And someday you'll be a pastor. And someday you'll be a blessing to others. And, and long before I saw that dream and that reality, and long before God decided to answer those prayers, I never thought that that would necessarily come to fruition. And then it was April of 1992 that God answered those prayers when I accepted a calling here, here to be the youth director of this church. I had volunteered to help the youth ministry out. And then, lo and behold, through a couple of moves and a church plan, all of a sudden they say, hey, why don't you do this thing? I felt God's call in my life. Well, in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church of America, if you get called in the ministry, you're nobody unless you get a master's of divinity. You got to go to seminary. I mean, right? I mean, God can't use you unless you're really educated. But so I was able to go and you know, a master's of divinity, how long that thing takes? Three years, three years. So raising a family, being in ministry, I was able to cram three years of an MDiv into eight years. It was a gift. It really was. But it didn't matter being eight years because, let me tell you, because I felt called to student ministry. I was one of those guys who was going to be a lifer. My, my, my entire calling was going to be working on the front line with students. So if it took me eight years, it took me eight years. But something happened during those years, and I had an opportunity to preach, and God says, really gave me a love for doing this. And he started to expand my, my heart to shepherd, not just students, but, but more. I started longing for, for maybe the next step. And then I started thinking, my goodness, will I ever get through seminary? Will I ever get ordained? Will this ever get over? And I remember I, I assembled some mentors in my life, some men who would walk alongside me, and I'd cry out to them saying, I can't do it. I'm trying to raise a family. I'm trying to do a ministry. I'm trying to finish up seminary. I'm not sure it'll ever fit. And they lovingly and wisely said, God is in control. Just relax. God's timing. His hand's on you. Don't be so impatient. Well, after nine years and finally getting my degree and finally getting ordained, I got ordained in this church. And finally getting ordained, I really felt a niche that God was calling me to church plant to go start my own mess, my own, the own church, right? And so I went to the pastor at the time. I said, I'd like to go to our assessment center. I'd like to get approved so that I could become a church planter. And he told me to wait. He asked me to wait for one year, and I was angry. I didn't want to wait. Because at that time, I'd already been nine years in student ministry. Do you know how long that is in student ministry? I mean, that's like in dog years or something. And that's a really, really long time. And, and my heart was starting to shift. And if my heart's in it, I, I'm no good. But those mentors in my life said, you know what? Let's listen and let's trust. Let's wait a year. And in that year... He had a calling from here and all of a sudden the pulpit was open and folks started thinking, well, maybe, do you think that our youth guy might be the guy? Is there any chance that Jeff might be the one who's called to fulfill this? It's incredible through that journey and through God's plan And eventually at the end of October, November 3rd, I I, I was installed as as this church's lead pastor. And then when the vote came, and I gotta tell you about that vote, because I was coming up through the ranks of the church, and in our denomination, if you come in as a newbie outside, you gotta get 51% of the vote to be the new guy. But if you come in from the inside, you gotta have over 80%. You be somewhere for 10 years and get eight out of ten people to agree about you, right? (laughs) Well, the vote came and and you know what? 98% felt like I was the guy. And every Sunday since, that number's been slowly declining and going, right? <laughs> but God's timing is perfect. I see it in my own life. And even though I was far from perfect when I started, I'm far from perfect now. I realized that he had a plan that was unfolding that even included my grandma's prayers. It's a pretty amazing thing. His timing is perfect, and it's incredible to see. But i got to tell you about God's timing. It's awful, a little bit goofy. You ever feel that way about God's timing? Well, let me tell you, God, God declares that his timing's a little different. He tells us in 1 Peter 3.18, he says this, a 1,000 years to him are like one day. And, a thousand years, and one day is like a 1,000 years. And so you know you're talking about a God who says, my timing is perfect, but let me tell you, my math is different. My math and my understanding of days are different. And so, so for those of you who are longing, and those of you who are crying, and those of you who are wondering, hear the word of the Lord. God's timing always is perfect. But it really is God's timing. And then you have Joseph. And Joseph, who probably thought, my day has finally come. I mean, finally redemption. An amazing guy. Did you notice that everywhere that Joseph goes, he rises to the top? Usually something happens. He gets tripped up, and he ends at the bottom. But joseph's time he probably thought it was finally come and redemption was finally here and a key to his thoughts and how we know what joseph was thinking was was the way he named his children interestingly he was going to become part of the royal family i mean the pharaoh was going to give him his own daughters daughter, and daughter and and joseph will wear the the garbs of of egypt and and even uh seemingly have much of the culture around him but he never lost touch with his god but Joseph reveals his relationship with God and the way he felt about all this in the naming of his kids. He first named the first one Manasseh. And it says this, that he named him Manasseh because God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. He's basically saying, man, I'm forgetting the fact that my brothers sold me. I'm forgetting the fact that I went from the favored son to the banished son. He's made me forget him. You think he's at the top. But God wants to say, Joseph, I have so much more for you. This isn't the top, Joseph. It's not right. Joseph, listen, our God is not the God who wants you just to forget your problems and forget your issues. He wants you to remember his grace through them all. And the God is not the God who wants you to forget your family. Because what God is going to do, watch this, God is going to redeem his family. He's gonna restore him to his family. He's gonna do great and glorious things. God has even more than Joseph could imagine. He's gonna restore his own family through Joseph. He's gonna restore his brothers who sold him through his own life. Then there's Ephraim. Ephraim means this For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He's saying, You know what? It, 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 I'm in Egypt. It's been a really bad ride here, but God has made me fruitful. In my land of my affliction. But God has so much more in store for Joseph. So much more in store for God's people. So much more in store for you and me. Not just to be fruitful in the land of our affliction. But to be fruitful in the land of promise and of rest. And the original reading audience, that's where they were heading. I think for us to understand this, is for us to understand a little bit about who our God is. He's, He's the God of the now and not yet. He's God who's reigning and ruling now. And yet, not all of his promises are here yet. His kingdom hasn't fully come yet. But when we see the God of the Bible, he's this eternal one, the the timeless one, the one who creates time itself. And the incredible story of the Bible is that, that Jesus, God's son, he puts on flesh. He becomes one of us, and he steps into time. And he experiences all the restriction of time. He experiences all that we have to do by waiting in line and experiencing hunger and fatigue and 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 sleep and thirst. The eternal one steps into the temporal. And we know that, that we have his blessings both now, today, and more tomorrow. Let me give you a couple blessings. Like, that now, if you know Christ Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, that your sins truly are forgiven. If, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you really are justified. You've been declared not guilty because of the work of Christ Jesus. Now we are robed in his righteousness. But not yet are we in his presence fully. Not yet are we, we able to no longer sin. Not yet are we no longer able to, to cry and to weep. There's more good stuff coming. And God's timing is perfect for the now and the not yet here. The second thing we see is God's power is ultimate. God's power is ultimate. In 2009, when we went through, Katie and I went through, and the family went through her journey of cancer, uh, in the midst of that journey, in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that despair that many of us who I call in that fraternity of cancer know, We were given two tickets. We were going given two tickets to a really fancy golf tournament. And I'm really, really grateful. It was was one of those like little excursions from reality that we would be able to go. And and it was a a tournament at the time called Tavistock. It was between two country clubs, Lake Nona and Isleworth. And just the greatest players in the world were a part of those two country clubs. And it wasn't open to the public, but if you were able to go, you could get really close uh, to the greatest golfers in the world at that time. And it was, it was wonderful to be able to get go and just walk and just kind of be distracted and to really see what, I've never seen more beautiful people in all my life at these things. It was like the, the the rich and the powerful right there. But right before uh, right before a golfer was ready to do a very important thing and hit a golf ball, there was a marshal there. Quiet, but have a sign, and, and the, the hush would fall over the crowd. I think it's a 4 iron, 280 yards. But When he hushed the crowd, there was one bird, one rascal bird, that refused to listen to that marshal. And you should have heard him sing. I'm telling you, he could sing, and he was singing. And no matter what a marshal told him to do and any power or authority a marshal had over a crowd like this, this little rascal who was created by God to sing was gonna do the very thing God created him to do. And you should have heard him. Oh my goodness, he was beautiful. And when he sang, I I promise you, I I really think he was singing, God is in control. I really think he was singing, Emmanuel, God is with us. And and here's, here's the beauty I mean, everything else faded away. I mean, Katie and I just stood at that tree. That God brought us there, not for the golf, but for the bird. And for the bird to sing in a way that just reminded us that cancer isn't in control, that the darkness doesn't win, that God does. I'll never forget that bird. It was so powerful to remind me that God's power is ultimate. God's power is ultimate. And I love this because what does it say about Pharaoh? Now, Pharaoh, you gotta understand, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, was the most powerful man on the planet at the time. I mean, he was the most powerful man on the planet. How powerful is Pharaoh? He can't interpret his own dreams. He can't figure them out. He doesn't know the, the future he has all this power, and yet his power, he's got to get some slave boy out of the dungeon to come tell him what is really this is all about and what the future is all about. Maybe a little background to this is even more important. Do you know that in the ancient Near East, that the pharaohs and the kings, they were considered the image of God? They and they alone were the image of God. They and they alone were the sons of God. They and they alone were the only ones who could build the kingdom of God. What about those crazy pyramids? The gods told him to do it. The gods communicated with the pharaohs because they and they alone were the only images. The rest of us are all slaves. So God has Moses write the Bible, and he tells, and this is the original audience who's hearing this, he wants to say to them, are you ready for this? The pharaohs aren't the only image of God. Hear the image of God. Every single one of you, male and female, has been made in God's image. You and I were created to advance Christ's kingdom. We're to build the kingdom of heaven and on earth right here. Not just these pharaohs. It's just us. And God has the ultimate power. And he sees it and gives it through his son to his own people. You see, we see God's power in raising up Joseph to interpret the dreams. Why? Why? To fulfill God's promises. What's what's the promises? Well, well, God had promised to a great grandfather of Joseph, a guy named Abraham. He promised Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm gonna be your God and you're gonna be my people. And Abraham, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna bless your seed. Now watch this. And through your seed, the nations are going to be blessed. And we see that the beginning of this fulfillment here through the seed of Abraham, Joseph, the nations are going to be blessed by God. They're gonna be fed by God because God is with Joseph and allows him to interpret dreams. You see the reality, this is all going to eventually point to Jesus. You see, he's going to make sure that he's doing things for his people's good. He wasn't just thinking of Joseph. He was thinking of Joseph's brothers. He wasn't just thinking of Joseph's brothers. He was thinking about the whole family. He wasn't just thinking about Joseph's family. He was thinking of you and me. Because through this family and through this seed and through this promise will come a Savior named Jesus. And God will always do every. He will always do things for our good and for his glory and for his fame. But again, we see the now and the not yet in this. They were promised food for tomorrow. He's gonna say, Joseph, this is how you're gonna provide for food. And he guess the original audience who's hearing this. They're in the wilderness. They're in those lean years. And what are they eating? They're eating manna. They're eating this bread from heaven and, and they're being reminded that God is the one who's providing for you today, but there's more to come. There's more blessings to come. There's a banquet to come. And your Savior is going to be there. And you're, you're welcome. And oh, the feast. God's timing won't fail. God's power is ultimate. And lastly, God's plan is unfailing. About a month ago, I was able to go with a friend and my, one of my sons uh, over to Lakeland to an air show. Uh, it was awesome to go see the old warbirds, but really uh, something happened that I didn't anticipate. We, we made our way through some of the back roads of Lakeland, and I had this incredible rush of nostalgia. You see, because I, I started to see God's unfailing plan unfold in my own life. I, I started, you know those glimpses that you just see and say if this didn't happen, that wouldn't have happened. If that didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened, and I wouldn't be here. For some reason that's still unknown to, to most my grandparents decided to retire in the boondocks, and this is not like the hub of Lakeland, but in the outskirts of Lakeland, Florida. And so when they, they left upstate New York and they retired, they, they, they came to retire in Lakeland, Florida. That became the central hub of the Jake's Vacations. It was right there in the beautiful Polk County metropolis in the boondocks of Lakeland, Florida. And because we would go there, my sister and I would both go to the Harvard of South Florida Southern College. We'd both go and graduate from there. But it was at Florida Southern College that I would get involved with a ministry called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And at the Ministry of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I would meet a really cute girl from Winter Park, Florida, named Katie. And Katie. And Katie's... Uh, family, the Ward family, they, they started going to this really u- unusual new church in Orlando area. Although the, their dad was an elder in another church in town, they heard of a young hotshot so- hot, hot preacher named Chuck Green, and this young hotshot preacher named Chuck Green that started in a storefront of Colonial, and their family went there. And as the church grew, they grew with them. And, and when I was in college, we would come over and we would go to church together over here. I went to this weird church that was then over there named Orangewood. And I was Baptist, and Baptist God loved the most. And I, I didn't know that God loved Presbyterians. I wasn't sure. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. that The, the preacher got up, Chuck got up. And he, he opened the Bible. Yes, all right. He seemingly loved Jesus. So after I made sure that he was a Christian, I let him marry us. I said, okay, you can officiate the wedding. When Katie and I would move to New Jersey. I would take, start my business career in midtown Manhattan. And after a few years, we decided to raise a family. We we're expecting our first child. And we decided to come back to central Florida. But I wanted to make one thing clear. I wanted to show leadership. And I want to put my foot down. So as we closed the U-Haul trailer and we gathered all of our stuff and we we're ready to go back to Florida and although her three sisters, brother and mom and dad were all already members down here, I wanted to make sure she knew something clearly. We will never join Orangewood. I will never be a Presbyterian. And I just imagine the heavens were laughing and say, not only will you join, but you'll be called to ministry and not only will you be called to ministry, you'll be ordained and not only will you be ordained, you'll be called to be the lead pastor. See, in my own life, I know that God's plan, it just doesn't fail. I mean, I had my own plans, and they were different, and they were twists and turns, but God's plan doesn't fail. It didn't fail for Joseph, and it won't fail for you and me. But Joseph knew, Joseph knew that God was ultimately in control. listen, Watch this. But Joseph also knew that he had responsibility. He knew that God had a plan. He knew that the plan wouldn't fail. And yet he did stuff. He planned. He, he took the knowledge that God gave him, the light that God gave him. He says, okay, now here's what God's going to do. Are you guys ready to work? you ready to go follow hard after God? you ready to do what we know uh, that clearly he's leading us to? I love that fact. I love the fact you see the sovereignty of God and you see the responsibility of man. But we know through the unfolding of Joseph's story, the unfolding of our story, we're gonna hear over and over and over again what others meant for evil, even your very own brothers. God meant it for good. Do you know that God's plan's not gonna fail depending on who's gonna be elected this next election? I mean, seriously, I mean, think of the next election. I think our our country's probably more in turmoil of who's gonna be our next president. Oh my goodness, who's gonna be our next president? Do everything you can to be a responsible citizen here, but you're a citizen of heaven. Let me tell you something, God's plan will not fail no matter who is in the overall office. God's plan will not fail, even, listen, listen to this, even despite your own sin and folly, God's plan won't fail. You're not gonna mess up God's plan. You might do the wrong thing, and you might have the consequences from that. I'd be right for this. God's plan is not contingent on you or me or our good or right or wrong or sinfulness. God's plan is God's plan because God is God and it's unfolding. It's beautiful. It's good. And it won't fail. Not even our sin and folly will disqualify us from it. It's God's plan. But let me remind you of God's ultimate plan. You see, Galatians 4.4 4 will say, in the fullness of time, when, when, when time had reached the gestation period it was gonna give birth to all of God's promises, in the fullness of time, God would send forth his son and his son born of a virgin and born under the law so that he might redeem us, so he might rescue us, so he might adopt us, so that he might make us his sons and daughters. In the fullness and the perfectness of time, God's plan unfolded. And the ultimate powerful God came to rescue you and me. God had a plan for Joseph, but it went beyond him. God had a plan for Joseph's family. And God has a plan for us to be a part of his family in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this question. If it's true, if God's timing is uh, perfect, if it's true that God's timing is perfect, if it's true that God's power is ultimate, if it's true that God's plan will not fail, What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? How shall we then live? If this is true, Romans 8, 28 is true. All things do work together for the good, for those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose. All things will work to our good, and what that might look like, all things for our good make us more like Jesus. The highs and the lows, the success and the failures, God wants to use all those things to make you look more like your Savior. He's going to use all these things for his glory to tell his story because God is ultimate. It's really ultimately about him. But if this is reality in Christ Jesus, let me tell you some good news. You're free. You're forgiven. He's come to give you life and life abundantly, and he's come to make you fruitful for his kingdom. His timing is perfect. Wait on him. His power is ultimate. Rest in God. And his plan is unfailing. Trust in God. Let us pray. Father, it is so good to know that you and you alone are in control. Our lives spin out of control. Our world seems to be spin out of control. What in the world can we control? Nothing. Only you are in control. Because only you have the source and are the ultimate power. We thank you for how you use it for your glory and our good. And only you and your plan is unfailing. God, we look back at all the things we thought might happen and all the plans that we made and the things that have crumbled and fallen away, but the things that have been done. And if we look through the eyes of the gospel and the eyes of the cross, we see you there every step of the way. Even in grandparents who retire in Lakeland, even at FCA and even in birds that beautifully sing on golf courses. Our God is in control. And our God is good. And our God loves. May we rest in that reality and still like Joseph, do that next right thing that will bring you glory and advance your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name, amen.